So before the Christmas break and before the week that I was, uh, last week I was sick, uh, if we look over here, we've been looking at engage. We engage God in worship. That is, uh, once we respond to God's marvelous grace, when God gives us his grace, then we respond in worship. Um, we engage God in worship, and we engage the lost in evangelism. Part of the mission of the church, those are the two biggest missions of the church, by the way, to worship and to evangelize. And in fact, I would maintain that that is the priority of the church, to worship God, the God who redeemed us, who saved us, who translated us in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We worship him, and that should not just be on Sunday. That's an everyday thing. Part of the movement out of that worship and understanding that God has given us his grace is evangelism, telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we moved, a couple of weeks ago, we moved to connect around God's word. Uh, and this is what we talk about in the form of spiritual growth. And this is where our series is right now. We'll move transition to serve the church, the community, and the world in the next few weeks. But today we're going to talk about primarily um, the early church. And one thing we want to note right up front is uh, that a church that is on fire is growing in small groups. And if we look at verse 42, we read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. As we look at the early church, and I know some people say, well, the early church was just the early church, and none of those paradigms or methods uh, that you can recreate today. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. I think that we can look at the early church, we can look at the New Testament early church, and closely match how the early church functioned and do that today. I, I still think that's relevant. Um, there were some priorities in the early church. First of all, they had small group studies. Notice that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. This word devote means an intense persistence in something. And since this was really done in the homes, they didn't have First Baptist Church Tolono. They didn't have First Baptist Church Sidoris. These uh, early churches met in homes, and so small groups were vital to uh, grow. And, and what happens in a, in a small group? Have you ever thought about what happens in a small group? Well, in a small group, first of all, you experience personal growth. Because you are interacting with other believers, you are interacting with Scripture, uh, from that event comes the growth in small groups. One of the first small groups that I ever participated in as a young believer was Sunday school. Uh, Sunday school was instrumental. Matter of fact, I remember the, the Sunday school teacher there at uh, Temple First Baptist Church, uh, First Baptist Church Temple, Texas, uh, he put up with a lot of my dumb questions. But from those questions came answers. And from those answers came growth. Now, growth doesn't happen overnight. You don't, be, you don't become, a, a first of all, become an infant in Christ, and all of a sudden you're mature. It is a process. And so what we, are, what we see in the New Testament is really a process of small groups. And, and in small groups, you have open discussion. 
where somebody may say something and the group interacts with that and then the person who said that may go, well, I didn't think, think that side of the equation. Um, and you begin to grow that way as well. And I think the biggest thing that happens in small groups is mentoring. You have a mentor in your life that generally either happened one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, if you think about it. Uh, when I was in Bible college, Dr. Windsor, I, I credit him with my desire to preach. Um, I learned that from him. He instilled that in me, uh, and we, we used to have lunch together at times, and he would talk to me about preaching, and th that made a huge difference. L let me just say this. We're going to begin uh, establishing small groups here, and I want everybody in the church to attend these, these small groups. It is vital. It is vital. Secondly, a second thing that these small groups, uh, the priorities of a church, not only small groups, but fellowship, fellowship. Um, it, it's not like one little kid said two fellows in a ship. It's not, 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 not that. Uh, the Greek words here refer to a close relationship. And what happens what has happened over time since we've left the New Testament first century Christians, what has happened over time is the church has become a Wednesday, Sunday event. And we have lost, even with all of our technology, we have lost connections with, e with each other. And so small groups help foster fellowship. Part of the problem with the church today is we don't really know each other. We know about each other, but we don't know so-and-so is hurting unless we're in a specific group. So-and-so uh, over here is having issues or problems. We have become so disconnected, not only in the culture, but in, but in our church, that we need to get back together to where we start learning about each other. That would also help in um, a lot of different areas of life. Then there's a third one. The early church knew something. It was a Jewish culture, sharing a meal together, and I think that's important. Um, give you an example of that, of this. Back when I was uh, Newt Larson, you know him, Dr. Newt Larson, friend of mine, also took a hermeneutics class under uh, Pastor Newt. Um, one one day during that class um, he said everybody go down to the conference room and he said leave your books said, okay it's a free free class just leave your books we'll go down and there was like 15 of us sitting around this big conference table and pastor Newt brought in pizza and he set the pizza down. It was like, I don't know how many boxes, but it was, quite, it was quite a few. And he popped those boxes and he said, let's eat lunch and let's talk about preaching. I got to tell you, out of all the classes that I've had, that was the most effective class. Because we sat around and it went, the class was only supposed to go an hour, but we sat around for almost two and a half hours talking about preaching. 
And Newt just gave us one subject. And he said, I want you to deal with this subject. And for two and a half hours, roughly, eating pizza, laughing, talking with one another, uh, I, I, I think I would probably recognize those guys today, and that's been, oh gosh, 20 years ago. I would probably recognize those guys. It was a very important class. And this is something, when you share a meal together, and I've noticed it, when we do meals here at our church, I, I watch and I see how people interact with, with, with one another. Sharing a meal together brings people closer together. This is what the new believers understood. That if you're studying the Bible, that if you're fellowshipping with one another, you're building close relationships, you have a meal together. By the way, this is a small group that meets in, in, in the home. You notice everybody's having fun they've they've done their bible study this is something that we can replicate in our churches today and this is something that we'll replicate in our small group classes from the small group classes comes a sense of unity which we'll get into in just in just a few minutes um but did you notice not only did they meet and study the bible they, had, they were developing close relationships. They were sharing a meal together, breaking of bread. But they also, in the small groups, were praying. Jesus said, my father's house shall be known as a house of prayer. You know what that word prayer means in the Greek? It means talking to God. That's all prayer is. That is all prayer is. Prayer is simply talking to God. Like you woke up this morning, you said, good morning, honey. It's exactly the same type of prayer dimension. Prayer is simply talking to God. So here you had these early believers. They were studying the Bible. They were growing close in their relationship. They were sharing a meal together. And before they broke off to go back to their homes and do whatever else they had to do, they had a time of prayer. This is model worthy. This is model worthy. We, we can do this. There's nothing, it's not so archaic that we can't do it. And I, what I want to do here at this church is I envision a time when we have, we have small groups for every dimension in our church where we are growing in our faith, we are growing closer together, we are growing closer to God, and we have an intense prayer time for our church. Let me make this clear. The church will not grow without the power of prayer behind it. The church will not grow by how many plans and programs that we do. Those are fine. Uh, church is not, not going to grow just by chance. Church is not going to grow uh, any other way. It's going to have to be by the spirit and the power of prayer. And so we need to get, we need to get back to that. And I've, as the days go by, I get more and more convinced of it. And then the results. So the church was meeting. They were growing in their in their understanding of Scripture. They were growing in relation to one another. They were growing in their relationship with God and notice what happened in verse 43 and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles the word awe 
is phobos in the Greek, and it means intense respect for God. You know, God is a miracle worker. Would you agree with me? In fact, just the birth of a child is a miracle from God. In fact, there's nothing that God cannot do with the exception of sin. God cannot sin because in him there is no darkness and God is light. Beyond that, there is not one thing that God cannot do, not one thing that God cannot accomplish that he wants to accomplish. We have an awesome God. By the way, that's a great song too. We have an awesome God. You think about God's resume. Let's, let's, let's think about God's resume. I wrote, I wrote down some things. The crossing of the Red Sea when Pharaoh was pushing Moses up and God opened the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through on dry ground. And as soon as the Israelites got through, God closed the sea over Pharaoh. That is resume number one. This is what God did. What about Jonah in the belly of a whale? Go to Nineveh, preach. Jonah was reluctant at first. He started going and God swallowed him up in a, in, in, in a well, kept Jonah alive, spit him out. Jonah went to Nineveh, preached, and they had a great revival. That's God. What about Jesus feeding the 5,000? Lord, there's not enough food here. Jesus says, give it to me. We're going to feed them. That's the miracle working of God. By the way, Jesus was God. Jesus causing the lame to walk. God's resume keeps getting added to. There is nothing that God cannot do. And by the way, there is nothing that God cannot do at First Baptist Church Tolono. I wonder sometimes if churches... lose out on the benefits and blessings of God because they do not believe that God can move. What would have happened if the early New Testament church, this one in particular, said, no, nah, we don't believe God can do this. Uh, we're not going to keep meeting together. We're not going to keep doing these things because, God, we just don't believe that you can do this. Isn't, isn't there, there points in Scripture when God said, when Jesus said, I am going to shake the dust off here because I cannot do anything because you do not believe? Sometimes I think it's a belief issue. Do you believe that God can grow a church here at First Baptist Church Tolono? Then let's pray for it. Some people think, well, that's kind of charismatic, isn't it? I don't call that charismatic. I call that believing in the power of God. He saved me. That was powerful. He saved you. That was powerful. Write this down. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask and think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul wrote that to the church at Ephesus, encouraging them to stay the course. By the way, there's nothing 
nothing that our God cannot accomplish. Not only do we get in small groups, but we also build a strong church, 44 to 47. Now look, what happens from this, what, what happens from getting in small groups and developing close-knit relationships and, and praying to God, specifically, strategically put there, I think, by Luke, what was the last thing that happened in those small groups? Prayer. And what happened in the next verse? God did some awesome things. Now what happens is, from this event, from this prayer miraculous event that, that the apostles, you could say uh, the church was able to do miraculous things only because it was based and steeped in prayer, what flows out of this then is... Right here. Oneness. Oneness is not an accident. When the church is all together and we are one, God can do miraculous things. And that's what he says here. All who believed were together. So that means everybody in this church that believes in Jesus Christ, we are together. Autos. Sounds like automobile, I know, but it's called, it's autos in the Greek. And you know what that word means? Identical. So if I were to ask somebody over here about their, their theology, they would be identical to this person over here in our church in theology. And it means our concept, our understanding of ministry to this person over here would be the same as a concept of ministry in this person over here. Hence, why we have engage, connect, serve, trying to bring everybody together so that we can have like faith. You notice these, these twins, these, these cute boys here, they look identical. And that's what God wants. He doesn't remove our, our individual identity. But from this collective individual identity, God brings them together so that they may become one. And I wrote down some things about uh, what we need to become one in. In our theology, you cannot have a church that is one if we do not agree in our theology. It's called the Baptist faith and message. All of us in here this morning believes that the Bible is inerrant, correct? Absolutely. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to, to the kingdom of God, right? Absolutely. We believe in baptism by immersion, right? Absolutely. We believe in once saved, always saved. Absolutely. That's right. We believe in the physical and visible return of Jesus Christ to pick up his church. Amen. And we believe that someday Jesus Christ is going to end this world and we will reign with him back down here on earth forever. Amen? That is what makes churches unified. This is what he means by, I like what John Polhill said in his commentary, simple quote. 
It seems to depict, this word together, seems to depict a gathered community with a strong emphasis on their unity. Brothers and sisters, we have got to be unified. How many football teams win the Super Bowl with a divided front line? I've, I've seen this. I've seen quarterbacks, uh, you know, back up and, and they get ready to throw and they've got a play lined out. He throws the ball down the field and the guy comes back and he goes, where were you? He said, you weren't even on your route. And they start arguing. You do not win Super Bowls by arguing. You do not win uh, NBA championships with a team that has one guy that running everything. You have to have an organized, unified team, or you will not win. Uh, the other night, of course, many of you know I, I like hockey. I've been following hockey a lot. And um, the Tampa Bay Lightning played the LA Kings, and I, uh, it was rough. It was rough to watch if you're a Kings fan because the Lightning made it look so easy. It was six to two, and I think they just gave the Kings two at the end of the game, but it was, it was bad. Last night, the Kings came back, and they were talking about unity. And the Kings bounced back last night, not because one player, but because a collective team came together and they won four to nothing last night. What I'm trying to say is we have to be unified. We cannot let divisions and things come into our church. And I'm not saying we have divisions in our church, but the way to head it off is to remind us that we need to be unified. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. 90% of the problems in the churches are caused by selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, this is the key, consider others better than yourselves. So what that means is I consider myself less than the other person. Now, you're still saved, but what he's driving at here, what Paul is driving at, is you have to consider others better than yourselves, and each one of you should look out not only to your own interest, but also for the interest of others. I, I've, I've heard people say, well, I just tell them what I think. Please don't. You shouldn't always say everything that's on your mind. And I've seen this play out in, in the church in 28 years of pastoral ministry. I had a lady in my first full-time church. She said, I'm just going to tell them what I think. And I said, please don't. Why don't you hold back on that? Sure enough, she just threw it out there and there was problems. Now, People that want to have unified churches do not do this. They withhold and they go, you know what? I may not agree with your approach to ministry, but I am going for the good of the group. I am going to push through this, and I'm going to consider your opinion and your ways over mine. That's how we get to unity. And it's so easy if we could just say, you know what, on the grand scheme of eternal life, is this really something I want to argue about? And just say, you know what, for the good of the group, I'm going to go along with it. 
And I would put some parameters on this, obviously, myself. Anything done in the church should go around, engage, connect, serve, should be able to connect to it. The last sermon series will actually put this all together for us. But all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. This, this is the church. We exist, obviously, first and foremost, to glorify God. Secondly, we exist to minister to one another. Um, I like to think of it this way. See a need, meet a need. And this, 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 this may shock you, it may irritate you, it may surprise you, but I view it this way. I view it this way. That if there's a need in the church, and you see that need, and you have the financial resources or anything to meet that need, you should meet it. Personal opinion. Because we, if we have a, a young couple or somebody that is struggling to make food, and you know it, and you can actually provide a meal, I think you just do it on your own. I've heard people try to cover it under prayer and make it sound spiritual. God, I don't know if I should give this person $10 for gas. Really? That's a brother in Christ. I would worry about that person wanting to charge interest on the $10. If you see a need, meet a need if you can. See, this is what's, what's meant in Philippians when he says, look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. This is what he see, he's mentioning right here. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Of course, we're not going to do that today. I get that because we all have our own commitments. But we do, in a sense, when we tithe to the church and we put money in the collection plate, then we're able to disperse that. But ultimately, as believers in Christ, as believers in Christ, it's good common sense. When you see a need, you meet a need. I don't know why we don't sometimes. And actually, I've even been convicted in my own heart Sometimes, it happened the other day, and I was in the wrong lane to do it, there was a veteran out there holding a sign that said he was a veteran and he was homeless. But I was in the right lane, and there was too many cars over there. So this affects your pastor, too. And I kind of dismiss him at times. And I said, you know, see a need, meet a need. Brothers and sisters, 
and that doesn't just apply to the church. Think of it this way. If you, if you are out in the highways and byways of life and somebody you, can, you come in contact with, you see a need right in front of you, God may be saying, hey, why don't you reach out to this person? What happens when you go like this? Somebody has a need, and I've done this too, coming back from, uh, this was years ago, and I'm afraid to say this because I don't, just I'm afraid to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, I was coming back from, from school at Lincoln, and, and I was standing in line, and there was a young mother in front of me with three kids, and as the, as the bill got bigger, she said, just take that off, take that off. And I saw this little boy's face, and I go, no. I said, ma'am, you, you, you put that on mine. I'm going to pay for it. I just felt at that moment, I saw the need, and I needed to meet the need. If we do that, God will bless our church. I wonder sometimes if we miss a blessing because we don't. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let me say this as your pastor. Let me say this. I don't possibly think you could ever be wrong by meeting a need. Do good unto others, especially the household of faith. God is pleased with sacrifices of giving and meeting needs. Lastly, building a strong church, oneness, uh, and by the way, this flows out of this. I, I held off in the sermon just for a minute. and I'll bring it back in. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. That's where the small groups were. Breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God. particularly when it comes to unbelievers. What happens when you meet that need? You have an opportunity to share the gospel or to at least announce, I go to First Baptist Church in Tolono, and I want to give you this in the name of our Lord. Well, they kept doing this and they were selling, uh, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad hearts, and they were praising God. The early church, daily attendance. We act like it's a chore when we have to get up on Sunday morning just to drive the church for 50 minutes. Church attendance, I know it's going to sound very legalistic, not meant to somebody said to me I don't have to go to church to worship God okay where do you go to worship God you go to church church attendance 
is a sign of something deeper or lack of. Just as a fish needs water to survive, we need church so that we can survive. And by the way, it becomes an encouragement as we see the days growing darker. Scripture says that. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves. What happens is we get in a rut where we go to church one Sunday, we miss. Oh, I've got this going on, I'm going to miss. i got this going on, I'm going to miss. Well, what happens is the church begins to experience, blah. And then we start thinking God can't, when in fact God can. So I want to encourage you as your pastor to rethink this year, this first year. Rethink your commitment to the, to the church. It says here, day by day. Boy, we've got a break. We don't have to come to church every day. We only have to go Wednesday and Sunday, and sometimes when we have stuff going on during the week. Rethink your commitment. Second, they broke bread. Again, food. Let's have a lot of food. I like fried chicken. Let's think, let's think about that, fried chicken. But through those meals, through those meals, we do get closer with one another. We find out what's going on in your life and what's going on in my life and number three glad and generous hearts let me say this one of the first signs of a spiritual problem is a lack of gratitude lack of gratitude towards what God has given us is a sign of a spiritual problem a spirit of ingratitude is problematic and they did. They kept meeting. And I'm not saying that this church experienced rosiness. Oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh, no. But they still, in the midst of all their struggles and hardships, they praise God for what they have. Let's praise him for what we have. Do you know we have a building that we can meet here this morning and praise God and worship him? We are among friends here at this church. I've known you for 10 years. I consider every one of you my friends in Christ. We should be so thankful for it. We should be celebrating that this morning, celebrating our friendship for one another because we're all saved. We're going to heaven. Mm. Praising God. A worshipful attitude. Verse 47b. And the Lord added to their number day by day. See, they were going day by day. They were committed to God and Christ day by day in the church. Day by day. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Those who were being saved. And the Greek word here for saved means rescued from the pit, but it also, it also talks about baptism because that, that was synonymous with salvation for the early church. If you were saved, of course you were baptized. That was the first act of Jesus' ministry was to be baptized. 
Jesus, he was asked, why should I baptize you? And Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness. What would Jesus mean by that statement? He would be known as one who had been baptized. And what is baptism for us? It is a sign of death to our old life and raised to our new life. That's why we immerse. It's a symbolic gesture of dying to our old life and being raised to newness of, of life. 